and welcome to today's episode of TapCast. I'm your host, Chloe Merzignac. Today, I'm going to give you a few short tips on small language choices you can be making in your classroom to create a more inclusive environment. And we're also going to be talking about a few resources that you can look at uh, to dive more deeply into these issues. So let's get started. sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know that, of course, that that's ridiculous. Uh, Words can be some of the most powerful ways that we can send a message to someone. And as educators, it's our, our responsibility to choose words carefully in order to make sure that we are sending the right message to students. Um, And some of it is about what we say in particular, but also some of it is just about the choice of the words that we make when we are trying to say whatever it is we're trying to say. So the first way uh, that I want to suggest you consider using very careful language in your classroom revolves around the idea of identity and belonging. Uh, So one example of this is uh, when it comes to gender pronouns. Um, Your student may be... uh, may use pronouns that uh, are not uh, the way that they present or uh, the way that you assume that they uh, would want to be uh, referred to. So um, in order to send a message to our students that their identities are valuable and important and we recognize that, uh, one small thing you can do is to learn what their pronouns are. Um, And I should say here, the word that we've typically heard is uh, preferred pronouns. And I just learned the other day that uh, this is actually not um, a, pre- a great way of referring to this. The reason being that the word preferred sort of indicates that this is uh, sort of just a thing that they're, they're choosing and not an integral part of their identity. Um, so the phrasing that was recommended to me was, uh, what are the pronouns that you uh, would like to be identified by? Or what pronouns do you use? Um, and so you can ask this in, for example, a survey at the beginning of the semester, where you can also collect some other good information to have. Um, you know, Their name, what do they prefer to be called? Um, do they have um, do they have a something of particular interest in the class? Um, why are they taking the class? Um, and then just a general, is there anything you know you feel that I should know? And um, this is a great place to learn that information about your student. Uh, another tidbit that I picked up recently is the idea of giving students an opportunity to tell you what pronouns they would uh, they want you to call them. Um, but also having a space for students to say, okay, these are, these are the pronouns that I, I go by. This is how I identify. But I don't want this to be a whole thing in the classroom. So when we're in the classroom, can you just go ahead and call me by these pronouns? Um, so for example, if a student is, is let's say their student's non-binary, um, that, that can bring up a lot of questions um, for other students. And, and that particular student might say, all right, I am non-binary, I use uh, they and them pronouns, but I don't want it to be a whole big thing in the class, so go ahead and just use female pronouns to to, perf- to refer to me in class. Um, so giving them the space to communicate that information to you um, is also a great way to do that. And and learn these and, and use them properly. Um, and if you make a mistake, um, 
you can just sort of say, oh, sorry, that was a mistake. I'm still learning um, and I won't do it again. Um, you don't have to make a whole big scene about it, but acknowledge that you've made a mistake um, and tell them um, what you're going to do to work to not make that mistake again. This also goes for names. Learning a student's name um, is one of the best things you can do to show them that they belong in this class and that who they are in the classroom matters. Um, now, this doesn't just mean learning the names on the roster, um, although that is going to be helpful, especially if you're taking participation points, things like that, but learning what names students prefer to be called by and learning to pronounce them correctly. Um, now, I know that I personally struggle with a lot of uh, names of international students, and I work very hard to learn how to pronounce them correctly. Um, but I know that a lot of students will take an Americanized name um, because a lot of professors have this same struggle of being able to pronounce it. Um, so give them the space. If they, if they want to be called by an Americanized name, great. If they want to be called by their born name, great. Uh, but if they're not sure give them the space to say, look, I, if you want, don't feel the need to change your name just because I might have trouble pronouncing it. I'm, I'm ready to do the hard work to learn how to pronounce your name. Um, and, and if you would like me to do that, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do that. Um, one thing that I like to say to students is, um, if I say it wrong, please correct me. I really want to learn your name. It's really important to me to make sure that I can say it correctly um, as I'm learning their names at the beginning. Um, and I found that students are more comfortable um, correcting me if I really make a point to say, no, 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 I, I want you to correct me. I really want to make sure that I say this uh, correctly. Um, and, and then your name is important to me. Your identity is important to me. So the second theme that I want to talk about around language is fostering a growth mindset in our students. Now, the idea of growth mindset is that um, the knowledge that we can obtain and the, the amount of learning that we can do is, is a, it's a muscle. It's a thing that we get from hard work. Um, whereas a fixed mindset would be the idea that um, sort of these topics are innate ability. You are either born with it or you're not. You either can learn the stuff or you're not. You either are a math person or you're not. Um, and, and I know that uh, in math in particular, this is a major issue. Um, I know that as a graduate student in mathematics, I tell people I study math and they'll say, oh man, you must be so smart. And don't get me wrong, I love the compliment, but that jump from you study math, therefore you just are a smart person, um, is sort of indicative of this idea that math is used as a tool to measure some fixed amount of intelligence uh, that you were born with. Um, a lot of people will say, well, I just can't do math. Oh, I'm just a, not a math person. Um, and we don't want students to have that mentality. We want students to know that um, the way that their brain works is that it takes hard work and it's learning is a process and it's not something you just are or aren't born with. So growth mindset, of course, can be helpful to all students. This is just a thing that is generally good for all of our students. Um, but in particular, it can be helpful to students uh, who are uh, traditionally underrepresented or marginalized. So women um, and people of color. 
there's there's a, a number of factors in this. One factor is imposter syndrome. Um, this idea that you sort of have been faking your way through this, that uh, it's hard to focus on your successes. Or when you do think about your successes, you're thinking about it in terms of, well, I'm, I sort of just fooled everyone into thinking that that I was good at this and I, I'm not actually good at this. Um, I personally struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. Um, I, I have a hard time acknowledging that, no, I've, I've done a thing and it's a good thing and it's it's an important thing and, and I, I did actually do it. Um, I, I wasn't just faking something, um, fooling someone into thinking that I don't know uh, or think, fooling someone into thinking that I know something that I don't um, because I, I do actually know it. Um, and uh, there's some, some research to suggest that um, people who are underrepresented uh, are more likely to suffer from imposter syndrome and, and to have it a little bit more um, prominent in our lives. <clears throat> For example, there's been a study that showed that uh, looked at the average GPAs of uh, students who left STEM fields and uh, at the time that they left. And they found that the average GPAs for women who left STEM uh, was substantially higher than the average GPAs for uh, the men who left STEM, uh, which was sort of an interesting uh, finding. A lot of the, the women sort of felt like, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough for it, um, but their GPAs really would say otherwise. So fostering this growth mindset can, can combat imposter syndrome a little bit um, and, and can create that space for those students to say, I don't. It's not just a thing that I've been born with. I don't have to worry about these stereotypes that, you know, women can't do math or whatever. Um, that's not a thing. That's not real. I can learn this. Um, and it can really bring them into the conversation in a way that um, they may have never had. The last piece of language that I want to talk about is around what is often referred to as the hidden curriculum. So think about in higher education how much language we use uh, and take for granted vocabulary that only makes sense within the context of a college or university. Uh, things like office hours, uh, prereqs, um, in whatever learning management system you use. Um, at Rutgers we use, uh, we are transitioning into Canvas. Uh, Sakai is the next most popular one that we use. Um, so if you say something like, oh yeah, um, my office hours are posted on Canvas <laughs> for a student who may not have a uh, already have that connection to a university, they may have no idea what that sentence just said. Um, this is particularly important for first-generation students. Um, and, and this can be very, not only is it, it marginalizing because it sort of sends them this message that because you don't know these words that I'm using, that I am expecting that you know, you don't belong here. And of course, we don't want to send them that message. And when I say my office hours are posted on Canvas, I'm just telling them where they can go find the times that I am available to answer questions. But the way that I am saying it sends this implicit message that they don't belong here. And I don't want to send that message. But not only that, I'm telling them about my office hours and where to find them because I want them to come to office hours. And if I don't tell them what those are, 
they're not going to know to go to office hours. So they're also not even getting the explicit message that I'm trying to communicate with that sentence. Um, so there's a lot of these terms that we sort of throw around because we live in the university system and we don't think about them as being uh, specific vocabulary we don't think of them as being vocabulary that's specific to the university. Um, and so it's really important to sort of reflect on what are some of these terms that I'm using and, and, and can I assume that the students know what these are? Or is it worth taking the extra 30 seconds to explain what this word is? When I say office hours, what does that mean? Um, this is obviously especially important for freshmen, but for older students as well. I had a colleague who told me that she was teaching upper level students, juniors and seniors, not even freshmen. And she had a student who told her that they thought office hours were the times when the instructor is explicitly in their office to be doing their own work and not to be disturbed, which is, of course, the opposite of office hours. And, and that's so troubling that this student had this misunderstanding of office hours for the longest time, which meant that they never got the help in office hours that we want to give them. So taking that extra 30 seconds um, not only helps with the actual explicit message properly getting across to students, but it also helps with this implicit message of um, not othering students that don't already understand the university system. Now, these ideas about inclusion and diversity and language that we use and all of these things are, are big, complicated questions. So I want to give you a couple of resources that you can uh, go look at to get some more information about this. Um, if I get you one message today, it is that this is a learning process. I am still doing a lot of learning around this, and we all are doing a lot of learning around this. And the more that you can engage with um, the material that's out there with people that have, uh, that study this, who have uh, broader knowledge of these issues, um, the more we can engage in those conversations and that learning, the better we are going to be at fostering this uh, inclusion in our classrooms. So the first recommendation I want to make uh, is actually a book. It's called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism uh, by Robin D'Angelo. Um, this book was my turning point. Um, I spent a long time as an instructor wanting to be better around diversity and inclusion in my classrooms and understanding what some of the broader issues are, but not really understanding what I can do and how I, as a white person, contribute to these issues Um in a way that is not explicit, right? It's like, it's not good enough to just not be overtly racist. It's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. But, and I knew that it was more complicated than that, but not in a way that I, I felt like I could do anything. And I've spent a long time grappling with finding resources that helped me actually do something and be better. And this book was really that turning point for me. Um, it was all about, it's all about, it changed my perspective and the way I understand it. Um, and so although it is focused around issues of race, um, a lot of the perspective issues are sort of universal to all of these other issues, gender and, and whatnot. 
Um, and so, so I highly recommend that book. Again, it's called White Fragility. Um, and it's, it's a fabulous book. It's a New York Times bestseller. I can't recommend that book enough. It's wonderful. So now we have some Rutgers resources. Uh, the first one is the uh, Diversity and Inclusion Initiatives. So you can find this at inclusion.rutgers.edu. So their website talks about um, some of the initiatives that are going on in the university uh, to help with uh, diversity, creating a more diverse and inclusive university. Um, but they also have this really nice list of educational topics that have a bunch of resources um, and they are really, again, I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's really, really great to sort of dive in and learn more about some of these really complicated issues. So again, that's inclusion.ruckers.edu. The second uh, recommendation at Rutgers that I want to make is the uh, within the Division of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement uh, is the Student Access and Diversity Programs. So you can find that at access.ruckers.edu. Uh, and specifically within there, we talked a little bit about uh, how the hidden curriculum affects the uh, first generation students in particular. Uh, and so RU First is part of this uh, student access and diversity program. Uh, so you can find a link to it on their website, access.ruckers.edu. Or if you want to get directly to the RU First website, it's access.ruckers.edu slash RU1ST, the numeral one. Um, and it's got some great resources. They have some information about um, the hidden curriculum and things like that. And then last but most certainly not least is the Division of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement. So that is diversity.ruckers.edu. So they have some resources that are uh, specific to faculty. They have resources for students. Uh, and a lot of these other things that I've talked about sort of fall under their umbrella. And... The reason I actually left this recommendation for last is because I want to lead into the next uh, the next month's episode. Uh, I'm going to be sitting down in October with the new vice chancellor for the Division of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement, uh, Vice Chancellor Anna Branch. We're going to talk about what this division is and what her role within all of this is, her vision for uh, the program and for Rutgers. And, and I'm really excited to sit down with her and learn about some of these issues and, and what her office does and then what she wants to do and accomplish and, and her background. And I'm, just, I'm very excited to sit down and talk with her. Uh, and I'm excited to share that information with you. So to recap, identity and belonging, learn names, learn pronouns, give students space to be who they are and recognize who they are. Uh, and learn how to refer to them in the way that they uh, identify. Use language that fosters growth mindset and discourages a fixed mindset, especially when it comes to combating imposter syndrome. Be wary of uh, the hidden curriculum. We want to make sure we are using vocabulary that students understand uh, and explaining words that they don't know, uh, especially as it relates to university structure. The recommendations were White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, inclusion.ruckers.edu, access.ruckers.edu, and diversity.ruckers.edu. Looking forward to a wonderful season two of Tapcast with all of you. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing with a friend. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. 
And you can find more information about the TA project at tap.rockers.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening.